Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. But if you go to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34, there is a scripture that we simply cannot get around. It's, it's a very clear imperative. It, it is a command from Paul to the church, and it says, Let your women keep silence in the churches. Silence. So it's all well and good that God loves women. We don't disagree. However, in the churches, women must keep silence. It is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience as also says the law. Verse 35. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is a shame for women to speak in the church. So as we formulate our group here in Burlington, we want to be faithful to the scriptures. And what we want to see is a congregation where I think from this point forward, the women simply don't speak. Okay, it's not permitted. So we don't want women disobeying such a clear command. What I think what we could do is if you know, we come in and we greet each other, and we might ask a, a woman, how is she? She could just point to her husband, and we could just turn to the husband. The husband will tell us how she's doing. I mean, that's... What, what the scripture sounds like to me. And a lot of people, I, I, you know, I speak facetiously somewhat, but a lot of brethren, in their zeal, in their faithfulness to God, interpret this scripture this way. The problem that I have with such an approach is when we look at our roadmap, which is based on the Bible, we have a vision of having a dynamic, actively serving congregation. I love the fact that our young people participate in the music. Our young people, in fact, when we had a young person, a young lady up here, reading the announcements, we, we, there was an objection to that. And very early in our formation, we had questions about the role of women in the church. And so I want to go through this and, and tackle this. And again, we want to adhere to our guiding principle which is that we ought to know how to behave ourselves as the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And we mentioned yesterday about uh, adhering to the apostles' doctrine. And doctrine is not just our beliefs. Doctrine has to do with our behavior. It, it's the teaching of the apostles. And this is clearly a teaching of the apostle, Paul, that we want to adhere to. We have as one of our goals, it's goal number two, to provide a place where every believer, male and female, young and old, every believer feels safe and valued. I don't know about you, but if I was told that when I come to services, I'm not to speak, I wouldn't feel safe or valued. In fact, I would feel devalued. And we know from Brother Jan's excellent, exceptional sermon, women were valued. So perhaps this scripture is not an open and shut case. 
and there's some context around it which is missing. The context of this scripture, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul, the Apostle Paul, in the first six chapters of the book, is responding to complaints that he has received. So brethren have passed by and explained to him what's happening in Corinth after he's set the, the congregation up. And the first six chapters, he's responding to these complaints. Then beginning in chapter 7, it says, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me. So from chapter 7 on, he's responding to inquiries that brethren in the church of Corinth have made. Jan mentioned in his sermon the culture of the Greeks. At this time, the Greeks have 800 years of history where they have significantly contributed to the world and the progress of the world. They're a very proud culture. The city of Corinth was destroyed, however, by the Romans. And then it was rebuilt. And when it was rebuilt, it was repopulated by the Romans. They basically took a lot of freed men, people who were slaves but were now freed, and they populated them there. So we have in Corinth, we have the Greeks, we have the Romans, and we have Jews. So three cultural influences in this city. Prior to the destruction of Rome, it was an extremely sinful city. Because it is strategically located, if you want to pass from uh, Asia, anywhere in Asia, to Rome, or vice versa, you have to pass through Corinth. And so it was really situated well for commerce. And a lot of the people who lived in Corinth, they did well uh, commercially, but also it became a hotbed of sin. Uh, Similar to the way we might refer to Las Vegas. And we say whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Uh, That's what uh, Corinth was known for. In fact, there was a saying that you would do the Corinth. So let's go do the Corinth. After it was destroyed and rebuilt by the Romans, it continued to be a place of phenomenal or extreme sin. Turn to 1 Corinthians 1. And so in terms of context, what we're looking at here is a church that's coming out of a very sinful city. And it's a church that's in crisis. It's a church that's in crisis. And it is populated by false brethren. Sorry about that. I have to get this. I have an Adrian. No. You'll have to kill her. No, she'll float to she'll float to shore. No, it's not your fault. No, go ahead, kill her. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, were you listening to that? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I was talking about a boat. The engines died. I said, you have to kill her. So you were just hearing one side of the conversation. And that's the situation that we have with the book of Corinthians. You're just hearing one, we're just hearing one side of the conversation. 
We don't know what the questions are that Paul is responding to. We don't know the nature of the complaints. And so when you just hear one side of the conversation, you understand the words, but you completely miss the context. So you might leave here thinking, I'm telling somebody to kill somebody. Well, he knows what I'm talking about, because he's asking the question, and I'm responding to him. As we go through this book of Corinthians, please keep that in mind. We cannot fully understand it, because we're missing half the context. It's a conversation, and we're just listening to one half. But here, let's go to 1 Corinthians 1. And in terms of getting the context... Look at this, brethren. There, there are false brethren in this church. This is, a, this is a church in crisis. It's a troubled church. And beginning in verse 17, Christ sent me, Paul has to defend himself. Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with the wisdom of words. The, the Corinthians were very big on wisdom. And he's saying, I didn't come with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, this is a strike by Paul to certain people in the Corinthian church who are calling him foolish. Who are saying they don't follow Paul. Oh, they're of Apollos or they're of Christ. And he's saying to them, he's writing back to the Corinthian and he's saying to the faithful brethren, the preaching of the cross, the way that I have preached the gospel, is to them that perish foolishness. There are false brethren among you and my preaching is to them is foolishness. But unto us which are saved... It is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. You folks think you're wise? It's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the sophist? The Greek philosopher. Where is he? Where is the scribe? The Jewish leader who's criticizing Paul. Where is he? Where is the disputer of this world? Here's the Roman debater. So we've got the Greek, the Jew, the Roman, all resisting Paul's... He founded the church, and now they're resisting him, they're rejecting him. And he's saying, where are they? God has made foolish the wisdom of this world. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So there are some that are taking Paul seriously through his foolishness foolishness of his preaching. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called the faithful brethren in Corinth, the true brethren, the true brethren unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, referring to himself, that his weakness is stronger than men. And then he says this, this is amazing. So these are mostly freed men. These are Romans that have been displaced and put in Corinth. They've been freed from slavery. And he says to them, look at your calling, brethren. Not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised has God chosen. And things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So all of that to say, 
we're dealing with a church that has been infiltrated with false brethren. And so as we listen to half the conversation, we need to realize this context, that, that Paul is grappling with a church that is at risk. It's at risk by being taken over by false brethren. Quickly, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 3. Verse 1, a familiar scripture, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. So Paul has to really set them in their place. I fed you with milk. So you're criticizing my preaching. Well, I had to feed you with milk, because you're babes in Christ. And not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. And even now you're not able to. I I have meat. You know, you think my, my preaching is weak? Well, it's weak because you were weak. And I gave you what was appropriate for you at the time. And, and I, st- I have meat, but I can't even give it to you now. Because you're still babes in Christ. So he's really having to stand up for his ministry with these people in Corinth. Verse 10. According to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. So Paul spent 18 months in the city of Corinth laying the foundation for this church. He's left... And now others are building on his foundation. And he's saying, I've laid the foundation, another builds thereon. But let every man take heed how he builds on the foundation that I've laid. So stuff is going on in Corinth. And Paul is saying, be careful. I'm a true apostle of Christ. I've laid the foundation here. You be careful how you build on it. Okay, so that, with that as context... Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 14. And verse 34. And the first thing that I want us to notice here, in verse 34, when Paul is saying to the Corinthians, and, and remember he's in corrective mode. Paul is correcting a church that's at risk. The first thing he says to them is, let your women keep silence. This word women is the Greek word gune. So wherever you see women in this passage, uh, chapter 14, it's the Greek word gune. Let your gunes keep silence, which means wives. So it can be translated woman, but primarily it's wife. And the context, as you'll see here, Gune is wife. So the first part of the context that we'll see is that it's, it's the wives that he is correcting. Or he's correcting the men about their wives. So let your Gunes keep silence in the church. He's not speaking about all women. 1 Corinthians 7. <clears throat> Just to put a fine point on this. 1 Corinthians 7, same letter, same author, same audience. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 34, he's leading up to chapter 14. Right now he's in chapter 7. And in verse 34 he says this, just to make sure we're clear. There is a difference between a wife, a gune, and a virgin, a parthenos. So if I wanted to say Parthenos, I would say Parthenos. And if I want to say Gune, I'll say Gune. There's a difference between a Gune and a Parthenos. 
the unmarried woman, and here he uses the word agamos, which just means unmarried, the unmarried person, cares for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. But she that is married, which is gameo, cares for the things of the world, how she may please her husband, and husband is a near. So very uh, often, wherever you see gune, you'll see a near. So husband and wife. So Paul is making it very clear that he knows the difference between a gune and a parthenos, between married and unmarried. And he's saying to them in 1 Corinthians 14, let your gunes keep silence in the church. Back to chapter 14. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also says the law. So, so Paul is saying, look, there's a commandment already in place for women to be under obedience. It says so in the law. So now we have to ask ourselves, okay, well, where does it say in the law that women must be obedient to men? It doesn't. Okay, does it say anywhere in the law that wives must be obedient to their aneers? Gune must be obedient to their aneers. And what he's referring to, the law, is the first five books, the Torah. Let's see it in Genesis 3. We're all familiar with Genesis 3:16. This is after the fall. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In sorrow you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over you. This is the law. This is what he's referring to. That wives are to be in subjection to their husbands. That's what the law says. And so in 1 Corinthians 14, let's go back there. I should have told you to keep here. Whenever we leave 1 Corinthians 14, keep your finger there, because we're going back. We're going to keep going back and forth. So Eve, as Adam's wife, was told that her husband will rule over her, and Eve is the mother of all women, uh, is basically setting the standard here that husbands are given the rule over their wives. And so this is what Paul means when he says, there's a, already a commandment in place, as says the law. But what does he mean by silence? Let your gunes keep silence. What is silence in the churches? Does it mean that if I say, how are you, to a woman, she can't speak? What does it mean? Uh, the word silence is the Greek word sigao, and it means to keep silent, but it also means to hold your peace. So sigao means to hold your peace. Okay, let's, let's explore this a bit further. Again, bear in mind, this is a congregation that is in a state of confusion. False brethren have penetrated it. It's, it's out of control. And what Paul's objective is, is to set things in order. And part of setting things in order is that the gunes must hold their peace. What does it mean to hold peace? Let's stay in the very same chapter, and let's just go up to verse 12. <clears throat> and what we see in verse 12, and we saw it earlier in the book of Corinthians, 
1 Corinthians. Even so you, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts. So this is a congregation that everybody is, it's almost like a competition. Who's the most gifted? So they are very zealous for spiritual gifts. As much as you're zealous for spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. And this is the mistake that the congregation was making. They were seeking to promote themselves. How gifted I am. And Paul is saying, in 1 Corinthians 13, the whole chapter on love, is saying, your gift is to edify the church. Out of love. That's what your focus should be. So let's go down to verse 26. How is it then, brethren? How, how does this happen? That when you come together, every one of you has a psalm. Every one of you has a doctrine. Everyone has a tongue. Everyone has revelation. Everyone has a, an interpretation. How is this? Let all things be done unto edifying. How can it be that you're all interrupting each other if your objective is to edify? You wouldn't do that. So, so why is there this conflict? Why is there this competition if you have true love, agape, and your objective is edification? Verse 27. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, language, let it be by two or at most three, that by course and let one and let, let it be done by course in order, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. This word silence is Tagal. So the same way that the Gunes are to keep silence, as these uh, men are speaking and, and, and interpreting, hey, keep silence. Because if it's to edification, then listen to one another. Y yield to one another. So it's really to think of, uh, I want to say something, and we're both speaking at the same time, and I yield. And I let you talk. This is Tagal. Verse 29. Let the prophets speak. So dealt with the people who are speaking in languages. Now, 29, let the prophet speak, two or three, and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sits by, look at this, this is fascinating. So, I think I'm a prophet, and I'm speaking, and while I'm speaking, uh, Brother Murray starts speaking. And we both claim to be under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So Paul doesn't say to Brother Murray, well, wait until Adrian's finished and then you can start. He says to me, if I'm speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit, and Brother Murray now starts to speak under inspiration of the Spirit, I should keep silence. Because God does not operate in confusion. So he's not going to inspire both of us at the same time to argue with each other. So if the Spirit is on me to give inspiration, and suddenly the Spirit is on Murray to give inspiration, it must mean that God doesn't want me to speak anymore. So I should keep silence and let Murray edify. I just find this, this is Paul's genius. So this is an egotistical church. And he's basically saying, if someone else starts speaking, then you should stop talking. Because the spirit is working over there. It's fascinating. Let the first hold his cigar. 
For you may all prophesy one by one. The other thing that's fascinating about this passage, brethren, is Paul doesn't come to, right to Corinth and say, look, this is the way we do it in Jerusalem, and you need to do it this way. I know you're Greeks, but you have to follow the Jewish way. He finds out what they're doing, and he offers guidelines. And so every congregation doesn't have to be a cookie cutter. We're not all yellow pencils. Every congregation is going to be different. But he gives principles that we need to apply. And so here now he says, You may all prophesy, but do it one by one, that all may learn, and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So, so if you think you, there are multiple prophets among you, then the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. You're not going to try to vanquish each other. You're going to listen to each other. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And this is now the context, for now he says, let your gunes keep, hold their peace. And we'll come back to that in a bit. But first go to Acts 22. Hold your place in 1 Corinthians 14. Just to look at this word sigao again. And just underline this concept of holding one's peace to allow another to speak. Acts 22. And brethren, I, I, I apologize. This will be interactive. I just want to lay the groundwork. I, I want to make sure that I upset everybody equally. Uh, before we have a chance to, to, to talk. Uh, so this is a very controversial scripture. I just want to lay out the whole argument first, uh, and then we'll, we'll have time to talk. And if we don't, uh, I, we don't want to cut this short. If we run out of time today, then next Sabbath, we'll devote to this as well. We want to make sure that everybody is clear and comfortable and understands what the scripture says. Acts 22. And verse 1. Men, brethren, and fathers, hear my defense, which I make now unto you. This is the Apostle Paul defending himself. And when they heard that he spoke in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence. They kept sagao. He's speaking in Hebrew. And so they yield, and they let him defend himself. Verse 3, and then he goes on to defend himself. But drop down to verse 20. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death, and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, so Christ said to me, Depart, for I will send you far hence unto the Gentiles. So when he was speaking in Hebrew, they were willing to sagao and let him defend himself. He's defending himself, he's defending himself, he's defending himself. And then he says, Christ said to me, Depart, for I will send you far hence unto the Gentiles. And they gave him audience. So the word here is not sagao, but the, the notion is the same. That they yielded to him and gave him audience unto this word. As soon as he mentioned that Christ instructed him to go to the Gentiles, and then they lifted up their voices, now they're interrupting him, and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. So this is the opposite of Sagao. So they're, they're giving him audience until he says he was sent to the Gentiles. And then that infuriated him, and they no longer gave him Sagao, or they no longer held their peace. And then quickly go back to Acts 15. <clears throat> this is the Jerusalem Council. 
and verse 12. So they're, they're trying to sort out now the uh, circumcision issue with the Gentiles. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience. So this is the notion of Sagao, that you will give audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. So the notion of Sagao is not that I can never speak. It's not that I must be mute and put duct tape over my mouth. It's that I recognize that you have something to say, and I'm going to hold my peace and listen. And allow, I'm going to give you the courtesy of saying what you have to say. And I will, I will give you audience and hold my peace until you're finished. That's what Sagao is. Let's go back now to verse 34 in 1 Corinthians 14. So let your gunes keep sagao in the churches. Uh-oh, now I have a bit of difficulty here because it says it is not permitted unto them to speak. So not only must they sagao, now it's saying for you women, you're not permitted to speak. Okay, what do we do with this? The Greek word for speak is leleo, and it means to talk, to utter words, more specifically to preach. So the gunes, Paul is in corrective action mode, and he's telling the two people at Corinth, the women are not permitted to preach. Back to Acts, keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 14, back to Acts 18. Just to show you, first of all, the notion that women can teach. There's nothing wrong with a woman teaching, there's nothing wrong with a woman speaking, Acts 18, verse 24, a certain Jew named Apollos, Apollos was a powerful preacher. That's why, in fact, the Corinthians were saying, Paul, who's this guy Paul? He can't even speak. Look at Apollos. Apollos is an orator. We like Apollos. So this same Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man. So he had the gift of the gap. And he's not just eloquent, mighty in the scriptures. See, that's a powerful combination. You have somebody who's articulate, and powerful in the scriptures. He came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spoke and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. So as much as he knew, he was fervent, he was eloquent, he was well-schooled in the scriptures, very powerful. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, not afraid of the Jews, boldly risking his life, to, to preach Christ, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they together took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. So Priscilla participated in teaching Apollos, a very powerful teacher of the way. Priscilla helped teach him the way of Christ. So are we going to say, oh, Priscilla, you shouldn't do that? With silence. No, she was very capable and was a, a real soldier for the early church. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 14. Again, we want to understand this word, laleo. First Corinthians 14, verse 29 this time, again, speaking of the prophets, 
Let the prophets leleo. Let the prophets preach. Two or three, and let the other judge. So he's saying, let the prophets leleo, but your gunes are not—they're not permitted to leleo, but the prophets can leleo. Uh, Titus, you don't have to just uh, very quickly. Titus two fifteen. These things leleo. Paul is writing to Titus. These things leleo and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise you. And this is really the issue. It's laleo, authoritative preaching. That it's not permitted to have your gunes up here commanding the men. Take heed. Rebuke false doctrine. Rebuke sexual immorality. Rebuke division. To have a woman whom God is looking for graciousness from her and a quiet spirit to be up rebuking men and her husband. This is not appropriate. But there are times when rebuke is required. And Paul does not want that, or God does not want that, coming from Agune, who is to be under subjection. 1 Corinthians 14. So there are times when the preaching has to be with all authority. And yes, we are gentle, yes, we are loving, but we do not tolerate false, false teaching, false doctrine. We do not tolerate sexual immorality. We do not tolerate division. So those are times when strong rebuke with all authority is required. 1 Corinthians 14. Let your women speak, <clears throat> sorry, let your women keep silence in the churches. It's not permitted unto them to leleo, but they are commanded, and it's a gune, let your gunes, your wives, keep silence in the churches. It's not permitted unto them to speak, leleo, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also says the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands, their aneers. So it's clearly verse 34 cannot be speaking to single women. Because how could they go home and ask their husbands when they're single? So let your gunes, if they're going to learn anything, and this is interesting, because Paul, Paul is all about edification. And now it sounds like we're going back to the old Jewish ways where we don't teach women. Because he's saying, well, if they're to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. This word, ask, is the Greek word eparatao, eparatao, and it means demand. If your gunes are going to be making demands, it's inappropriate for them to do it in the congregation. Let them do it at home. And you sort out your relationship at home. So if you cannot keep your wife under subjection, if she's not understanding her role, don't display it in the congregation. Take it home. And so it's not that they, uh, if she's to learn anything spiritual, let her learn at home. It's more the notion, and again, remember, this is speaking specifically to Gunes. It's more the notion, it, it seems, again, we're just listening to half the conversation, but the context implies that the, the Corinthians are competing for attention and who's who and who's in charge. 
and the gunes are behaving as if they're in a Greek temple or a Roman temple where the priestesses are in charge and the priestesses shout out the odds. And Paul is saying, no, 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 that's, that's, not, that's not proper. Let your gunes, if they're going to make any demands, they can make the demands at home and then the aneers, the husband, can come and they can represent the family's interest in, in the congregation. So in terms of leadership, the women are not to take this role. And then he says this. <clears throat> the reason they should do this is it is a shame for a gune to laleo in the church, in the ecclesia. It, it, it's, it's a shame. It's disgraceful. In fact, the word shame is the Greek word aheskron, and it means a shameful thing. It's disgraceful. If we have a gune speaking in the congregation, in the ecclesia, it is disgraceful. It's disgusting. Okay? Let's, let's, let's explain this now. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 11. Same author, same letter, leading up to chapter 14. We're now in verse 11. And he's saying here to the same audience, same author, same letter, same audience, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 4, Every man praying or prophesying with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman that prays or prophesies, it is a shame, it is disgraceful. It needs to stop. He doesn't say that. He just says that if she prays, and this is gune, every gune that prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her husband, her anir, dishonors her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. So, Paul is not against the gunes prophesying. He's against them laleo, if I can mix English and Greek. So, it's not, they're not to have authoritative preaching. That's not the role for a gune. The law commands that she is to be in subjection. And it's not that she's unequal. Husband and wives are equal. But one is the head. And he makes this clear. And then back to 1 Corinthians 14. And I'm almost finished here, so we can begin our discussion. So you can start loading your ammunition and take aim. Oh, no, we'll, we'll work through this. <clears throat> and, and just uh, back to 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, just some context as well. That in the early church... It's understood that the women and the men were not mixed together like this. That the men would be together and the women would be off on the sides. And so it set itself up that when the gunes are shouting to their husbands, it's disrupting the congregation. Especially if they believe, a lot of these Greeks uh, and Romans believed in temple worship where the priestesses, even though they were nothing in society, inside the temple they had authority. And they were bringing that notion into the church of God. And so they're speaking with uh, and disrupting the congregation. And he's saying to stop this confusion. Now look at verse 36. <clears throat> so he lays out what he wants, or what God wants. And then he says, what? Came the word of God out from you? you know, Paul came to Corinth and established the church. And now they're telling him how the church should run. And he's saying, did the word of God come out of, from you? Or did it only come to you? I mean, I'm taking this, I'm establishing churches all over. Are you, you think you're the only church of God? 
If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, and, and the word man in himself is not in the Greek. Greek is third person singular, but it could be male or female. So those translations, if your translation says if any one think himself, any one, male or female, to be a prophet or spiritual. So he's just come back uh, from saying, I want this done in order, that if one is speaking and another begins to speak, that one should hold their peace, and he's just establishing order. And now he's saying, look, if any of you think you're a prophet, we could even say are a prophetess, because he's speaking to the gunes as well, let that one, male or female, acknowledge that the things that I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. So the, the fact that the wife, the gune, is to be in subjection to her anir, if you think you're spiritual, try to argue with that. Because that's the commandment of God. But if any man, and again, man is not in the Greek text, if anyone be ignorant, let that one be ignorant. So if you want to resist the commandment of God, that the gunes are to be in subjection to their aneers, then go ahead. Wherefore, brethren, at the end of this, covet to prophesy, and forbid not to speak with tongues, but here's the point. Let all things be done decently and in order. And when a gune speaks with authority to an anir, that is breaking the order. Things must be done in order. We're going to tackle one more scripture, and it's 1 Timothy 2.11. But before we go there, I would like you to go to Acts 19. Because... 1 Timothy 2 says, let the women keep silence. And this time it's to Timothy. And it's not in Corinth. Timothy is in Ephesus. But we need to understand what's happening in Ephesus. Acts 19, verse 13, begins with these uh, Jewish exorcists trying to uh, exorcise the sons of Sceva. They're trying to exorcise an evil spirit that doesn't recognize them and leaps on them. And then, verse 17, And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Look at this, verse 19. Many of them also which used curious arts. Ephesus is the hot... So Corinth is the hotbed of sin. Ephesus is the hotbed of the occult. So Ephesus, the Ephesians are known for occult and divination. And so when all of this happens, many of them also, which use these curious arts, they brought their books together. So all the books that teach them how to do these divinations. And they burned them before all the men. And they counted the price of these books. Get this. So all these books about the occult that they brought and they burned, they counted them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. That was the value of these books. And that, that shows you how, how uh, entrenched divination was in Ephesus. The city was famed for the temple of Artemis, and it was known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So it was uh, priestess worship and priestess religion. And again, the, the women are bringing this notion into the church. And so 1 Timothy 2.11 Paul says, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. 
This is not sagao. This is a different word. It's hesusia. Or sorry, hesuke. 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 So make them learn with hesuke. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Okay. Very quickly. Um, this word that they are to learn in silence, it's the same word that's used in verse 2. Go up to verse 2. Well, verse 1. I exhort that all prayers and supplications and intercessions be made for all men, for kings and all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. This word peaceable is the same word. So the same way that we, when we go about our business, we want to lead a peaceable life, this is the same way, the same word that he's asking the women, the gunes, to learn with. And the key now is this, look at this, verse 12. I suffer not a woman, a gune, to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man. And this is the issue. The gune is not to usurp authority over the anir. And then he explains why. Verse 13. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. Adam was first, then Eve. Because he was formed first and experienced life first, when Eve came along, taken from him, he's the natural leader. She was formed second. He's to lead her. Verse 14. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, the gune, being deceived, was in the transgression. Let me say this another way. Lucifer was a usurper of authority, was he not? He was under God and was unsatisfied with his position. And so he sought to usurp authority. It was unfair that he, being so glorious, should be second. So he sought to be first. So, verse 14, the woman who was second, Satan with his craft, didn't go to the one who was first and say, isn't it unfair to be first? He went to the one who was second. And with all the emotion that he experienced when he was second, he fed that into her. Wouldn't it be best if you were first? Why don't you take the lead? And so Satan's devices we should not be ignorant of. And so the gunes are at risk because they are to be in subjection of that Pride building up to say, I will not be in subjection. I want to be the leader. And so that's why Satan goes after the woman. It's not that she's worse than Adam. It's just that she was second. And therefore, his strategy would be more effective with the one who's second. Because he's all about usurpation of authority. So Adam was not deceived. And the only reason he wasn't deceived is Satan didn't go after him. He went after Eve. And that's the issue. The gune was at risk. And then immediately this rolls into chapter 3 that says, this is a true saying, if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. He must be blameless. He must be the emir of a gune, of one gune. So this ability to preach and to lead the church must be given to an emir of one gune. It doesn't say that a gune can preach, that a gune can be a bishop. And so our women, 
are equal to us. They are highly valued. There's just one restriction that Paul says here, and it's in all the churches, that gunes are not to usurp authority over Aeneas. And if we give gunes the role of authoritative rebuking and leadership, automatically they're usurping their role. And in fact, well, I won't go into it. We'll have some time for Q&A. But this is the key, that Paul wants order in the churches. And so as we establish our congregation here in Burlington, we don't want to be dysfunctional. We don't want women feeling like you're second-class citizens and you're not valued. You're highly valued. But we have to have our roles. And in fact, uh, Brother Jan covered this morning, or earlier this afternoon, that the man in the role of leader, it's not like the Roman concept where you abuse your wife. It's the Christ concept where you lay down your life for your wife. And so this role of headship comes with weighty responsibility. And anybody who's in that role that abuses it will have to answer to Christ. But those of us who are in a role where we have to subject ourselves, we need to get rid of or, or make ourselves immune to Satan's influence that says, hey, why don't you be in charge? So brethren, let me uh, stop here and open it up for Q&A, and let's, let's talk about this. We want to get this right. Uh, but in a nutshell, this is not saying women can't speak, and it's not saying that you know, if a young lady comes up and reads the announcements or participates in the service, uh, as long as she is not speaking with authority and rebuking and usurping authority, then we don't have an issue. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.com dot org.